There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Well... My next interview is with Boris Ivanov, and the film we're going to be talking about is On Putin's Blacklist. And we, we talk about, once again, a, a, a lot of different things. We touch on propaganda and oppression. We talk on something that comes up in the film, state-sponsored hate. We talk about the LGBTQ issue. We talk about Pussy Riot and manufacturing this idea of manufacturing consent. We don't actually talk about Noam Chomsky's uh, uh, understanding or notion, but it certainly uh, comes up in the film. We we get into Russia and politics and ideology and and what does it mean to 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 be or to have an independent media. We talk about this idea of of being suspicious of others and 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 why you know hope is is to be found in in the younger generation. And so I think you're going to uh, really enjoy the interview with Boris. You're going to you need to see the film. It's a fascinating film. It's it's fascinating historically. It's fascinating from a uh, a new media perspective and what it means to actually speak truth to power. So so definitely stay tuned there. And I'd love to uh, a shout out to Darcy Duak, a uh, Patreon supporter who has committed uh, $10, $10 a month to face-to-face and trying to keep us going. So thanks, Darcy, for doing that. A quick quick shout out. And I hope others will uh, jump on board in the very near future. DavidPeckLive.com for more information about my, my speaking and my writing, and also, of course, face-to-facelive.ca for a whole slew of other interviews with uh, filmmakers and writers, and we've got some really interesting interviews coming up over the next little while before Christmas, uh, some really exciting guests, and uh, rabble.ca as well for more information on other uh, podcasts and, and, and writing and reporting on issues that matter. Coming up in the next few minutes, Boris Ivanov speaking about on Putin's Blacklist. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here with us today from uh, the West Coast, uh, coming into Toronto to premiere his new film, On Putin's Blacklist. We have Boris Ivanov with us here this morning. Boris, thanks so much for for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Oh, 
Great. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, it's so funny when we live in this digital world, you and I are doing this live and I refer to this morning and I can see the sun shining in through your window. And, you know, here we are in the beauty of Skype and not actually face to face and people will be listening to this. Well, basically for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I mean, it's, isn't, isn't it remarkable the world we live in, eh? It is remarkable, but I can see your face. So it is a face to face. Well, so. it's, you know, it's face to face sort of. Sort of. Well, which is interesting to me because so let's let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about on Putin's blacklist, the film, uh, the 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 story, uh, this this documentary. I mean, fascinating film, by the way. And congratulations on a very clearly controversial, provocative, difficult subject for so many reasons. As as a parent, uh, it was hard to watch. Uh, as a human being, I said, I, I suppose, in a sense, it was really difficult to watch at parts. But what a fascinating um, um, in, insight into into the uh, everything that's wrong with globalization. It seems to me <laughs> and, <laughs> that's that's very big there. Yeah. And 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 politics and 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 so on. So tell us a little bit. Give us a bit of context, and then let's go from there. Well, on Putin's blacklist. I mean, it took me four years to make, and. Um, it's the stories of um, um, well, different individuals who ended up on that list who are somehow by existing is counter to kind of what Russia is pushing out to the world as uh, what's moral, what what they believe in. Um, I mean, basically, Russia really believes that the West is out there to destroy it. So it feels like it needs to protect itself. And the way it protects itself is by attacking and some individuals that is attacking are uh, really uh, powerless, like, you know, um, adoptive um, you know, orphans from Russia and like uh, adoptive parents and, and you know, in some cases NGOs and in some cases, you know, of course, you know, LGBT community is really taking the brunt of Russia's attack. Um, so all the stories, but the, the film is really personal stories of a new Cold War. That's sort of the tagline. So it's not just all politics. You actually get to know the people and who they are and, you know, how they ended up on this list and how it's affected their lives. So um, you, you used the, and I wanted to talk about this, but you used the phrase, the new Cold War. Uh, t tell me a little bit more about that. Is that is that political in nature? Is that about propaganda and not not so much about weapons? A different kind of weapon? Well, right now, I mean, hopefully, it's not about weapons. God knows where it's going to go into. Um, you know, Syria is about weapons, and uh, um, but yeah, the Cold War is, of course, you know, we had uh, many many years between USSR and the world at large, a Cold War where. You know, there was propaganda on both sides. There was information hidden. There was, uh, you know, both sides were presenting information that was not exactly true. And there was no communication. And it just created this difficult situation for the whole world to live in. Um, and, you know, there's been a thaw since the breakup of the USSR. And unfortunately, now we're back to this sort of Russia versus the world or the world versus Russia. And... Um, there's um, very uh, sort of very hard to see where to go, you know, forward from here. What's I mean, you know, I've got my own ideas, I suppose, but what's your, you know, personal interest in in the subject? Uh, why? Uh, I mean, is is this was this driven by just a historical interest, uh, a, a bit of anger, perhaps? Uh, you know, I'm always fascinated uh, any any documentarian because it's such a it's such a commitment. 
to make a film like this and a, and a, frankly a real risk it seems to me uh from your perspective so yeah t can you tell me uh, tell us a little bit about that well i felt like you know i i left uh you know ussr when i was 16 years old and i you know went to high school in the united states i went to university in canada i've lived all over north america so I felt like, you know, I'm sort of North American at heart with a Russian background. And what I was seeing, I didn't see the media understanding exactly what was happening or presenting it the way I would want to explain to uh, people in North America what is happening. So it was kind of a motivator for me to, you know, insert myself into this narrative and sort of show my perspective on it and what I think is important to take. Um, you know, this whole propaganda, I feel, is a big part of the new narrative between Russia and the West and understanding what propaganda is, is really, really important and how affecting that can be. And, um, you know, I feel that, you know, Russia has perfected their propaganda and of course North America is now kind of catching up a bit. And of course, you know, United States right now is just, uh, you know, Trump is borrowing quite a lot from Putin as far as propaganda is concerned and distrusting media and personal attacks and all the things that Russia has been doing for years to control their own population. So I just saw a lot of similarities and I felt like I should really present it in the film. Have you seen the, uh, the most recent, uh, it's a Huffington Post article, I'm sure it's all over the news now, but um, uh, the, the headline is Stop Criticizing Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin Says So. Uh, it just, just in the last uh, 15 hours, I thought it was pretty interesting timing based on our interview uh, today. Well, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed uh, or saw, uh, I think on the 18th, uh, Canadian Parliament signed on onto Magnitsky Act. Uh, Magnitsky Act, you know, yeah. So that's, yeah, very current now. Tell, tell us about that and, and, and how important and relevant that is to our conversation. Well, you know, Magnitsky Act in the United States came in, I think, at the end of 2011. It basically, U.S. You know, Parliament voted to put sanctions on certain individuals in Russia who were responsible for a death of a whistleblower, uh, Sergei Magnitsky. Uh, you know, he worked for a company, American company in Russia, and he discovered that uh, there was millions of dollars stolen by the tax office. He reported that to the tax office, and then, of course, they arrested him for that, stealing the money, and then they made sure that he died in prison. Uh, so those individuals were put on this sanctions list by the US um, uh, Congress, and, of course, Russians had to retaliate because they were very upset that the US Congress was uh, messing inside what they considered to be inside Russian uh, you know, politics and inside Russia. So in response, they uh, enacted... Uh, um, what they call the Dima Yakovlev law, which is uh, an adoption ban on Russian orphans to Americans. Um, for years, you know, Americans have been adopting a lot of Russian orphans. Um, I mean, in Russia, there's like basically 750,000 orphans, and uh, lots of them don't, you know, end up in orphanages, which is a terrible institution. So, it, you know, it was really good for children to get out of Russia. And a lot of them had, you know, medical issues, and they, couldn't get proper treatment in Russia. So it was a great thing for kids. So, of course, when the adoption was banned, then the Russians were, uh, you know, on television pretending, oh, this is great, it's going to hit America. But really, 
it only hurt the you know the orphans. Why, Boris? Why why so many um why so many orphans? I mean, is that is that pretty common in in that part of the world? I mean, I I'm not not sure why. Well, I mean, in Russia, of course, you know, people have lots of children, and it's conservative society, which means, of course, condoms are something very evil. Um, and in Russia, there's no sort of really social system. So if your family gets in trouble, um, instead of, you know, financially supporting you or trying to give you a counselor or getting you for things, they just take away your children. So most of the time, you know, they end up taking away children, you know, in dozens. Um, often at the orphanages, or not at the hospitals, if a woman gives birth to somebody, sort of to a child with disabilities, a nurse would just ask you there, well, you're going to give it up to the orphanage. You're not going to raise a child with disabilities, are you? And most women are so uneducated in Russia by disabilities that they give away their children. Um, and that's sort of left over from Soviet Union because, you know, if you are not fully able to build communism, then what are you doing in society? So even at that time, uh, lots of you know, kids with disabilities were given away to orphanages, and that practice still continues. Uh, there are NGOs trying to fight it, and they're trying to educate people and try to create services for kids with disabilities. But it's you know it's a very slow process, and it's mostly you know from NGOs, not from government perspective, because governments failed. Um, so and then you know there's other reasons too. And yet and yet and and ultimately, as we see in your film uh, so well articulated, the children ultimately end up suffering. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's terrible for what children have to deal with in orphanages. And of course, you know, there's have so many children now and Russia doesn't have as much money because the oil is down. So, you know, instead of taking care of kids in orphanages, they throw them in and just super orphanages with thousands of children, which is, you know, the worst thing you can do for kids who have no parents is to throw them in this huge mega orphanages. And um, yeah, so it's a terrible situation for the kids in Russia. So you, you, you know, it's so interesting you say because Russia is such a, a conservative society. Is that, is that now, is that taking on more of a religious form now, uh, a sort of a, an orthodox kind of a form than than from before, sort of more political, more ideological? I mean, when I think of, of you know communism, I don't normally think of conservatism, you know, right out of the gate. That's not the first thing that comes to my mind. And yet, as you start to think about it and unpack it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, religion plays, um, you know, a big part of it. Ask Pussy Riot. I mean, their whole protest was about, you know, the influence of religion on the lives of Russians. Um, you know, it's Putin is really trying to make friends with all the religious leaders and trying to push their conservative agenda. And he's basically now defined Russia by this conservative agenda. So basically, he's calling that Europe, you know, it's all... You know, you can do anything, and it's you know terrible. They're forgotten the European values, and these conservative values, according to Putin, are the European values. And um, you know, he has this nickname for Europe, which is "gay rope," where somehow he has pushed this narrative that Europe is you know degrading itself, and you know LGBT community is responsible for it, and so. He's not anti-Europe, he's anti-gay rope, which he defines as a different from Europe. Um, so it's a definitely a big part of his propaganda narrative. It's, and, and, and as you say, I think one of the phrases that, that somebody that you interview, I think, in the film uses is uh, this state-sponsored hate. And it's not just about hate towards the West. It's a, basically, it's a hate of difference, really, isn't it? 
it's a hate for the other in a sense that anyone who's I, not like that, us. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, I think it's also in a way it's hate of freedom to choose what you want to do. It's like everyone in Russia and before in Soviet Union, you were prescribed what you were supposed to do. There was only one way of doing things and anyone who is doing it differently or, you know, doing it counter to what the government tells them is then automatically, you know, on the enemy list. Um, you know, and then sometimes it's, you know, we're in NGOs is a good example of it because of course NGOs are defining their own mandate, what they want to, you know, what they think where the needs are. And some of most of the time it's sort of counter to what the government thinks the needs are uh, because NGOs are picking up, you know, in the areas where the government is failing. Uh, but, in, you know, in Russia and the Soviet Union, it's like the government has to tell you where you should do things. So you can't just come in there and say, oh, this is what I want to fix. No, you can't. You have to get the government to approve it, and then you can go fix it. So unfortunately, even NGOs get in, you know, in the way of the government and get on their list of uh, you know, enemies. Do you see, you know, do you see uh, uh, things kind of the pendulum, you know, you sort of start uh, uh, the establishing shot of the film is, I think, the ambassador, Jeff, uh, is it Jeremy Kinsman, the ambassador to Canada? But you get very quickly into that, that um, the red flag coming down in 1991. Do you see a swing back towards a more, or have you already seen this swing back to this restrictive, uh, highly controlled society? Or is it kind of a balance in a way? Sometimes it's very restrictive. Like, as you say, you're told what to think. There's only one way to think. That's how I would have described communism, you know, or my dad would have described communism, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, do you see that? Do you see it swinging back to that in a, in a more um, um, intentional fashion? I do. I mean, I believe you know, you know, Russian government is controlling media. There's very many, well, very little outlets for independent media. There's no sort of you know, online is the only place that's left where people can get some information. But most of the times, people are told that everything coming out of the West is uh, a lie bought by the CIA money, um, you know, you can get in trouble for, you know, watching it or listening to it. So it's even people getting information, they don't really know what's true, what's not. So, um, and that's just sort of a very easy way then to control what people think. Um, and I think most Russians, um, you know, on sort of one level, they just try not to think about it. You know, they want to you know, go to their summer homes, they want to raise their kids, they don't want to be in the middle of it. But it's interesting. There was a protest, I think, this year where everyone went for a walk in the center of uh, Moscow. It wasn't a protest. It was just everyone went for a walk at the same time. So there was tens of thousands of people just went for a walk at the same time. So it's like, you know, because nobody wants to get in trouble. Nobody wants to, you know, lose their spot in university. Nobody wants to get fired. But also people want to show that, you know, they are not, you know, okay with what's happening. So they go for a walk. So, so basically it's, it's fear, it's suspicion, but there's also enough evidence to suggest that uh, things could ha could actually happen. I could lose my place in university. So there, there is this reality. It's not just fear and suspicion. It's actually happening. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, um, 
I'm, there are protests, you know, a lot of young people. I mean, I, my, my thing that I find to be very interesting is that even in that sort of conditions growing up, there's lots of Russian young people who are not afraid, who, you know, who are the new generation, who are, you know, grow up on the Internet. They don't, you know, get affected by this sort of propaganda on televisions. And they are not afraid to put their life on sort of on the line. So what? I don't go to university. I can do other things. So, you know, there's a lot of been a lot of protests sort of organized by high school students, by, you know, kids who are just in universities. So there's definitely young people who are standing up. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely encouraging. How, how, does, how does a group like Pussy Riot happen in a place like Russia that is so oppressive, that is so full of uh, hate and fear, as you say, and, 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 and I, I guess control? It just, it seems like that was a real, I mean, that the press that, that, that whole situation got globally is, is fascinating. I wonder, I wonder if historians will look back, you know, and say that was a significant kind of uh, moment, tipping point for, for, for all of us, frankly. Well, I agree. I mean, when I went to, uh, you know, Pusher, I did a presentation uh, in a theater and I went to it and I could see sort of North American audience and Canadian audience and even for them they are sort of heroes of freedom of somebody standing up you know and it's like I don't know if even you know some push right members understand how much of a real effect they've had on the psyche of North Americans by what they've done but when I was interviewing Masha Lurkina from Pussy Riot I mean what she said to me is that they made a video they didn't quite realize that was like the worst possible timing for that video and it came out right sort of during the elections, uh, presidential elections. And, you know, Putin right away needed to show showcase that they have power. They don't want to allow people to do whatever they want. Um, so, um, yeah, so they basically got the strongest punishment at that time, uh, which was surprising. But, of course, it's escalated since then. And as Masha says, you know, now they're giving people 20 years for, you know, made up, trumped up charges. And, uh, you know, um, it's, um, yeah, I mean, the way sort of the judicial system is run in Russia, it's really, it's there to oppress people. It's not there to protect them. It's not there to, uh, you know, make it, uh, seek justice or anything like that. It's there to oppress people. So you talk uh, one of, one of the characters, one of the people in the film that you you follow quite closely, and you'll have to help me on on his pronunciation of his name. But he's he is the opposition party in a sense. Uh, Il- Ilav is that his name? Ilya Panamarov. Ilya, yes, thank you. And and you 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 really do kind of uh, you detail his story, uh, you know, quite uh, quite in in a really focused kind of specific way. I mean, is there an opposition party? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, so, so, you know, the way you, the way you make the film and you frame everything from a, it seems from a, uh, uh, a Russian perspective in the, in the frame of the television, the animated television on the screen in the film, you know, this idea that this, you know, there, is this truth? Is this, is this, are these just lies? Is this more propaganda? We're not really sure. You know, you're asking me as a viewer to ask those questions. What about politically? You know, uh, I mean, clearly there's this overarching sense of, of propaganda and oppression and so on, but somebody is fighting back, sort of. 
Right. Well, no, I mean, Alexei Navalny, who is our sort of uh, politician, well, opposition, he's not a politician, he's opposition leader in Russia. I mean, he's definitely fighting back. He is, uh, um, I mean, he's making videos. I mean, they're constantly trying to, you know, take him to court, put him in prison. They put his brother in prison. They have trumped up charges against him. They gave him a sort of a criminal conviction so he can't run for a presidential, in for a presidential election this year because you can't run if you have a criminal conviction. Uh, Russia is really good with bureaucracy, so they're really good at finding little loopholes or paperwork ways that they can really get you, and that's really their specialty. Um, but yes, there's definitely people are fighting back. You know, of course, in Russia, everybody believes, you know, they're being bought by CIA. That's sort of propaganda being pushed out on televisions. You know, um, Navalny you know, has been personally attacked. You know, they threw basically... Um, chemicals like his face, um, you know, it's um, it's very hard. I mean, it's basically you have to be almost suicidal to be um, to that level of an opposition person in Russia right now. Um, and, of course, you know, we have a presidential election coming up in March, so uh, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, I understand this uh, uh, sort of famous TV personality and socialite in Russia, um, Ksenia Sobchak, is going to run for president. Uh, I believe she announced. So, I mean, that kind of is an interesting thing. Um, so there's still, you know, some people who want to change, um, who want, you know, a little more freedom and want people to have a little bit more. Do you think how, you know, I want to ask you a little bit more about the the racism and, and the sexism behind uh, a lot of your film and, and, and the subject matter that you're bringing up in the film. How do you think a, a Russian citizen, and this is such a crazy or general question because it's a, it's a big country, uh, would define freedom? Uh, well, yeah, it is a crazy question. I, I mean, I think, you know, Russia is like Canada, like United States. It's so vast. You know, what people define freedom in New York is not what's person in Alabama, I think. Um, same, same thing in Russia. I mean, I think, you know, for most people, you know, I believe it's just having a freedom of living. So whatever your life is, whatever you want to do is, you know, I, I can. Um, you know, in, in Russia, you know, Moscow and Petersburg, they're big cities where sort of more kind of international cities where, you know, people have access to lots of uh, information, but also, you know, foreign products and things like that, uh, where, you know, in small villages in Russia, people kind of grow potatoes and they're still growing potatoes from 100 years ago. Um, so it's it's hard to know what is freedom. I mean, I think most Russians are suspicious of, you know, foreigners, like they don't want, you know, they, they, they do want some control. I don't think they want, you know, freedom, they don't you know, sort of complete. I think it takes time for people to realize, you know, what is they want and as time progresses you know i think you know if you know russia continued on its path from the 90s into 2000s with some freedom and i mean you know things in the 90s didn't quite work out in russia you know the foreign investment and how sort of it got sort of russia the way they feel got swept aside because they weren't superpower anymore and it's you know kind of hurt their Soviet mentality because you know, we're a superpower. So things in the 90s didn't quite work out. So transition should have probably been a little slower, a little less drastic, um, with a little bit more control. Um, but anyways, 
what happened happened. And then in 2000s, instead of sort of trying to scale it down, but continuing down path to democracy, it kind of got all changed around. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know uh, yeah, as far as what freedom is to Russians um, generally, but I mean, I believe to everyone wants to be able to do what they want to do without hurting anyone. Well, it's, you know, Boris, it's kind of interesting. I mean, how can you sort of, I mean, this is, isn't this kind of what's happening in the West to some degree? It's happening all over the world, really. We've got the benefits of globalization through, you know, independent media and mass media and, and, and the internet and, and anyone has a voice and so on. But at the same time, it seems like we're kind of going inward on some, on some levels. And this is where propaganda and oppression becomes so, I don't know, subtle and nuanced, depending on the culture you live in. So how can you actually even talk about freedom if you're getting all these messages in a very, uh, you know, sanitized kind of way? And I guess that kind of leads into my question about the, the racism and the, this, this xenophobia and, and, and the sexism and so on. It, is it state sponsored in a way? Uh, is it, is it top down? In the sense that we want, we really want you to be afraid of the of the foreigner, of in a sense of the other, and even the other within Russia itself, because we're the ones, you know, we have the answers. And so now we're talking about power, and we're talking about pride, and we're talking about uh, uh, privilege, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I. It's definitely top down on some. Well, I think in Soviet Union and in Russia, everything is always top down. I mean, basically, they want the whole country work top down. We tell you what to do, what to think, how to do it, and then you do it. Uh, it makes it very easy because then you know it's very easy to uh, you know to function in that society. Um, but I think yeah, what you know, especially with the LGBT community in Russia, I mean, what you know, what happened is it's basically state-sponsored homophobia. And as soon as the government says, oh, you know, they, they can't, you know, there's no propaganda of gay lifestyle. And as soon as they did that, then the society is like, oh, well, we can attack gays. They have no protection. Nobody's going to go take us to police. So if you want to murder someone, here's, here's a good candidate. So by allowing sort of this type of legislation to exist, it's sort of giving ideas to sort of society and members of society who should be basically imprisoned instead of sort of encouraged to attack others, you know, and I, I feel like in the United States right now, it's the same thing, you know, so by Trump not speaking out against Nazism, suddenly it's more acceptable to hold rallies and to talk about it and, you know, and create violence. And um, so it's kind of the same thing. Is, is this, is this film you, you interview, I think you interview human, uh, somebody from, I uh, can't remember her name, Tanya, I think her name is from Human Rights Watch. Are we really talking about, I mean, any great, any great documentary has many, many different themes and many different subjects and, and places that it seems to go and layers that it peels back and questions that it raises. And I think sometimes a great documentary, Boris, asks more questions than answers it provides. But is this really fundamentally about human rights for you? Uh, is it fundamentally human rights for me? I believe, you know... In the end, you know, with the film, you know, the way Russia is today, there's sort of very hard to see what we can change, you know. And as a documentary filmmaker, I want to change something. I want to sort of contribute somehow. So, you know, my contribution would be is that, you know, from human rights level, you, we can help. There's always, 
know, LGBT community trying to get out of Russia and they, you know, need support. And Canada has been great about bringing sort of LGBT community here. But then, of course, there's issues, you know, you cannot uh, apply for refugee status outside of Canada. So, you know, all these people have to pretend they're students or try to get visitor visas, but it's very difficult as a single person to get a visitor visa. So they can't really get into Canada to, you know, present their stories that, you know, a horror that they have to live with. Um, so it's it would be very helpful sort of at human rights level to help the LGBT community uh, further, you know, in Russia to sort of, you know, and you know, help them when they get here in Canada as well. I think it's really great how you how you kind of bookend the film with with activists, local activists here in Toronto, actually kind of banding together and saying, we we can do something. We do have a voice. We can you know speak truth to power, and hopefully over time, you know think things will will uh, you know will actually change. How do you feel about the fact that the World Cup has been invited? Uh, to Russia, twenty. You know, how does the world? How does the UN? How does uh, uh, other governments? You know, I mean, aren't we all to some degree complicit in these? You know, in these kinds of of, of situations. I do a lot of work uh, in Cambodia as a, as a development worker, and I've watched their history, and I've watched that. Uh, you know, uh, political environment shift and change, but ultimately, it seems to be getting more conservative, right, and kind of shutting right. down more and more all the time. And you would think. With, as you said earlier, the young people, when you were talking about Pussy Riot, the young people kind of have a different voice. Same in Cambodia. But, wow, it looks like we've got so – it just looks so far away, you know, before we actually get to a place that's equitable and free and inclusive. Well, you know, young people don't run governments. So, you know, um, you know so that's the whole thing. Well, that may, I think maybe that's the solution. Get more young people in the governments, you know. Um, uh, maybe that would sort of change things. Um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I kind of lost my train of thought on that. The question was kind of the world stage, you know. Here, just in the last few days, the, 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 the World Cup, right? I mean, yes. where's, where's the complicity there, right, from the international yeah, well, community? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in the film, we're discussing the Olympics and, you know, in Russia in 2014. And did the world do enough to show Russia, you know, that that is not acceptable behavior? Um, you know, and some people I interviewed think that was enough to, you know, send an LGBT representative to represent the country or, you know, and then some other people, well, no, you shouldn't have come or somebody should have been more public or should have been more public protest or something or, you know, um, I mean, you know, in, in a way, I, I remember, I think, Pussy Riot, they let them out a little earlier than the, Olymp the three years, I think, they got just to sort of get, you know, the world community on their side and things like that. But I do feel, I feel sort of the world community needs to sort of stand up and say more on sort of this cultural level, you know, because, you know, there's sanctions against Russia and it's creating, you know, very difficult time for people who live in Russia, especially, you know, people who are in smaller towns and, um, and of course, but then that allows Putin to say, well, the West doesn't want to destroy you. They don't want you to have food. They want you to starve. So it's not really, he's not blaming his policies or his inability to manage it. He is blaming the West for wanting to starve Russians. So I don't know if, you know, having this um, embargoes on imports and other things is the way to go. 
but maybe trying to show that, well, you want soccer. Well, no, you can't have soccer until you accept, you know, that everybody's equal or whatever. I mean, maybe that would speak volumes versus not having them, you know, import fish or butter. Yeah, it's crazy that that's kind of where we're at, right? Fish or butter, soccer, this is how we're going to actually maybe change the, 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 the political conversation. It seems kind of absurd in a way, doesn't it? You, we're, Boris, sadly, we're going to have to wrap up our conversation here shortly. But in, in, in one part of the film, uh, and I want to get to your what I think is your hopeful side, uh, somebody says, you know, expect more oppression. And it might even have been Masha from Pussy Riot, I'm not sure. But is that where you're at with with all you've seen over the last four years as you've made this film, your background, your history, your family? Uh, is, is that next or or is there an opportunity here? Do, do you feel somewhat hopeful coming coming out on the other side of this film? Yeah, it's hard to feel hopeful. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, I think, how the presidential election in March goes is going to be the defining thing where we're going. Because if anything changes, if it's at least an independent candidate that's, you know, let run, because, you know, it's going to be hard to beat Putin. He's really popular. Uh, You know, he's controlled the society so well and propaganda machines work so well that everybody believes, you know, he's the strong man. He's going to protect us from the West. So... I mean, to me, it's funny, like with, you know, with Russia is that sometimes they want to over control the opposition for no apparent reason. You know, let 10 percent, you know, have a you know different opinion. But in Russia, it's like nobody has different opinion. You just so you'll up on a matter of one vote against the accession of Crimea and they have to kick him out. It's like one vote. I mean, rejoice in how many people are supporting you. Um, so, you know, I'm hopeful for the Russian presidential election, and then, you know, I'm sure Putin will still win, but let opposition run and at least sort of show the world that you're not afraid to compete with people on sort of a more sort of democratic level. Well, it seems to me the the uh, at the risk of turning this into too idealistic of, a, of, a, of an ending, I mean, my whole, uh, you know, the last 15, 20 years of my life has been based on this idea of social change and hope, frankly, you know, and that fact that we can make a difference. And but but when you're in the middle of some of these situations and you see some of the families that you represent, that it, it doesn't look like a whole lot of hope is on the horizon. But but but, you know, band together, uh, speak truth to power in whatever way we can. And hopefully mm-hmm. we trust that we start to chisel away at this thing called difference and and we we start to see more uh i don't know uh, uh more freedom in similarity i i don't know i'm i sorry to sound so corny boris but but you know what i mean it's it's uh it's a very difficult situation to to be in that's for sure but i want to thank you for your time today and um where what what are you hoping what's next do you have a part two uh, are we going to see a, a follow-up after the election will you start to make your your next documentary about what comes next well we'll see i mean you know i have other interests as well and sort of other projects on the go so uh we'll, we'll see how how it comes about um but yes so we'll see i mean i want people to see this film first you know it's just it just finished it's so new that you know and um and then we'll go from there. Well, listen, I wish you uh, I wish you all all the best with it. I hope everyone gets to see it. It's an important film. It's fascinating. And again, uh, congratulations on it. On Putin's Blacklist, we've been talking with Boris Ivanov here today, uh, live on Face to Face. Thanks so much, Boris. Thank you.
Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.